You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Family Secrets is a production of iHeartRadio. Family Secrets listeners, it's Danny again. Here's part two of my live conversation with Liz Fair. The audience at the Fine Arts Theater in Los Angeles had some questions for us. Hi, um, this is a question for Danny. First of all, so lovely to see you both up there and to hear what you have to say. Thank you. Um, Danny, here's a question I had, and I think you're sort of have sort of answered it with this term, the, how can we keep all confusing it? The, the unthought, unthought known. known. And I think that if that was in the book, I maybe didn't absorb it enough. Because as I was reading your book, I, I was swinging from side to side, or I was feeling like you were swinging from side to side, saying on the one hand, everyone's told you your whole life you're not Jewish. On the other hand, you say, oh, how can that be? And... Um, on the one hand, I felt sure that in your life you had talked to folks or had friends who were adoptees or had used sperm donors or had experienced some of those things. And yet when it was about you, 
you seemed, um, it almost seemed like you hadn't thought about it before. Like it was so mind blowing to you, the complexities of it. And so I couldn't really, I guess my question is, can you help me understand kind of where the path was between those dramatic swings of, I was so certain about this, and yet at the same time, I always had doubts. And, and maybe the answer is this. The unthought, unthought known. I never consciously entertained a doubt. And also, I didn't, I, in the world that I grew up in, I didn't know anything about sperm donation or um, really adoption was hardly talked about at all. I mean, even in, even I think in, in our, you know, it was, it was kind of a quiet thing. I mean, I think, uh, you know, Liz's parents told her from the time that it was like woven into your identity from the time you're very small. They were psychologically astute enough to do that. There were a lot of parents who didn't. And even if they did, everything was often just very, very silent, you know. And so there was no sense of, I mean, we again, we are who we're, we're told we are as small children. I also adored my father, and the and I and I didn't adore my mother. And so the it would have been something that would have been just devastating and dangerous for me to entertain. So there never was. I mean, when I write about it in the book, there it is from the place of now piecing it together you know, the collapsing of time. There's a moment in my book where, so I was, when I was three years old, the Kodak Christmas poster child. It falls under the category of you can't make this shit up, right? You know, I was like, what? And there was a story that my mother always told about how that happened, and it was just an accepted story by absolutely everybody. She took me into the city for a portrait at the holidays, and... And then the Kodak people were in the photography studio and they saw the, they saw the portrait and they said, wouldn't it be wonderful to use this for the Christmas card? So it's all these years later, and this was everybody who saw the, the Christmas card knew in my family knew that story. It completely accepted it. Confirmation bias. It's all these years later, my husband and I are home one day, the, the poster has a place of honor in my son's bathroom I mean, it's like, really? It's just kind of like... And my husband is looking at the, at the poster one day, and he says, this was shot as a Christmas card. And I was like, what are you talking about? You're wearing a black and red dress. You're um, playing with a wooden train that is containing red and green elves <laughs> with, you know, little elf, elf hats. Um, what Orthodox Jewish mother would have dressed her child in such a manner for the holiday portrait. And, and, he, my, and he said that, and it was like the veil lifted. And I was like, oh, that's true. She was not telling the truth about that, and she made up a story about how that came to be. So that's just an example of the unthought known writ large. Like, Everyone in my family, it was a big joke. It was a source of hilarity that an Orthodox Jewish girl was wishing the whole world a Merry, Merry Christmas. Isn't that funny? But not so funny when you actually understand the backstory. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Hi, Danny. Um, when reading your book and you sharing your journey, 
I felt that you were very nurturing with your words and what you were sharing. And I'm curious to know, it felt that you were making it very more nurturing for the reader as we all learned of your story. And it felt, even though it had a rapid pace and it, it was a very quick read, um, it was a page turner, um, it felt like you did it in a very, very careful, caring way for the reader to find out all the information. And it felt that it was a, kind of a tool of self-care for yourself, to perhaps speaking to yourself through this book. And curious to know if that um, you see it as a self-care tool, as you as well is. Um, in your book, um, and what are your self-care, uh, what is your self-care therapies that you do for yourself? What an interesting question. So the first part, and I actually wonder for you, Liz, about this, because to write a good book, to write a book that's going to resonate, connect with readers, um, at some point the writer does need to think about how that connection happens. Um, or, I mean, I was aware in writing Inheritance that I was writing a story that was, in its details, not going to be relatable to a lot of people. Um, and I, on all of my other books had relatable um, storylines in some way. And this is where I think it's like, you know, it's not relatable to people... Um, uh, not not everybody's a rock star, right? Um, and not everybody knows what it's like to wake up one day and find out that your you know your father isn't your biological father, and that apparently your biological father is a sperm donor. You're ever going to be able to? Find, it's such a bonkers kind of thing um, that I had to think about, and I've always said to my students, um, I sort of had to go against my own advice. I, I would say, don't think about what's universal about your story. Be drilled down into what's so utterly specific, and that is what will become universal. But in the case of writing Inheritance, I did have to think about it. And the way I had to think about it is, what am I learning? Because I didn't ask for this story. I wanted to send it back to the story store. You know, I just, <laughs> it was so shocking and so painful, and, and I was like, you know, just in the thick of it. But in the thick of it, there's, um, I remember I had a meeting, and it's, it's, uh, some of it is actually in the book. I met with, with Rabbi David Wolpe. Um, I asked him if he would meet with me because um, I have a lot of respect for him. And I was just on this search for, um, you know, what, what, what kind of meaning I was going to make. And, and, and Rabbi Wolpe said to me, everyone feels other. And I, this, this part I didn't put in the book. I said, really, everyone? And he said, smart people. <laughs> and he said, you have gone to the front of otherness, and you're coming back with something to teach us. And I really took that to heart. I thought, well, what am I? This is, this is my lot in life. This is, this is my, I'm someone who's written about family and identity all my life who now has, you know, just, experienced, you know, the, the biggest sort of, pardon the expression, but the biggest mindfuck, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, identity. And just that sort of profound sort of identity crisis, existential crisis. How do I translate that? 
And by translating it for the reader, I was also translating it for myself. Uh, it didn't feel like self-care while I was writing this book. It felt like pure torture. I sat in a chair. My body went to complete, you know, like I stopped moving. I stopped exercising. I stopped doing anything other than sitting in this chair and writing this book um, and researching and reporting and calling. But ultimately, it was, I mean, I, by, by piecing together the philosophical and moral, you know, sort of, by, and Liz, you were talking about this, by being forced by the endeavor to think of my parents as people, like what you're talking about with your birth mother and holding that, and holding that birth certificate, she was, she was a person to you in that moment. She wasn't only your mother who wasn't able to she wasn't just part of my story. She wasn't just part of your story, which is such a gift when that happens because we never really do that. We're never really forced to do that as, as children, as, as children or the grown children of our parents. We don't ever have to think of them really as anything other than our parents in one way or another, and I had to do that. And, um, you know, it's self-care. It's interesting. I mean, I've been on the road for this book since last January. And you need some self-care. I meditate every morning for 20 minutes. I bring my I have an I can't do a carry-on because my self-care weighs about like 15 pounds, like just the, the crystals and Mark Nepo's book of awakening that I actually have to carry with me and I can't read it on a Kindle and um, and my all my essential oils that are, you know, just I mean I I I Wherever we go, there we are, and I need to bring a lot to kind of like <laughs> settle myself wherever I am. Um, what do you do for self-care? I don't know that I, I mean, I make art yeah. for self-care. And I, I often find that the friction between me and other people increases if I'm not making art. And if I am making art, I'm a lovely person. And it, it's really, it's vital to me and vital to those around me that I continue to do so. It's how I process. So even though, it, as you said, it's excruciating to write, and I totally understand why no one ever finishes their book, because it's brutal. You wouldn't think that. It seems like the most cushy job you could have, and it's brutal. But, but the feeling of joy, completeness, and wholeness that I feel, even for a difficult story, is it's physical it's a very physical realignment for me and so I, I do lots of other stupid stuff but like I do think that art is the most self-caring thing and it, and it's selfish I'm not gonna lie like you're taking time away and saying please don't call me during these hours or you can't you know leave me alone for a week or whatever that is but it's it's the most, other than, you know, the usual stuff, like exercise and eating well and sleeping right, like it's the most aligning, restorative thing I know how to do. We'll be back in a moment with more Family Secrets. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? 
That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men because she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, uh, Danny and Lutz, thank you so much. Um, Your speaking is melody, really. It's inspiring. And thank you for sharing what your manager said. I'm 
hoping that I'll think that on a daily basis. I, I wanted to ask, because it is so rich and painful, and as you're talking about how you're writing with each of your books and going there, it sounds really nice when you say, oh, the shards of glass, and in between you see the light. It sounds beautiful. But when you're having to put it down on paper and expressing it that way, how do you get there and make it authentic instead of like trying to sound a certain way or be a certain thing. Can I? Um, one of the things that really bothers me the most is I have to do it sober. I can't, I don't have any fun tools. Like no fun tool will give me that stuff. So it really chaps my ass that I have to do all this stuff sober because it'd be much more fun. You know, I read about writers, like, you know, their whiskey or whatever. I can't do that. I have to go to a state of vulnerability. But this may just be me. I don't know how you would feel about this, but I have an ability, maybe because I've been writing songs for so long, to do like an inception-like dive. I don't have a lot of memories, but the memories I have are there because they're either really great or really terrible. And I can walk into it. So the trick that I'm always, the way I'm gaming myself is you make sure no one's going to interrupt you. Usually I work very late at night and I'm terribly dismayed to see my son has picked up this habit. But I need the world to shut up. I need it to be quiet, almost like a, what are those uh, chambers, those when you don't have any stimulation, sensory deprivation chambers. So I can, I always try to write in the age that I was when I'm in the memory. So if you can go into the age that you were, and it does require vulnerability, but there's surrender in the sense of just put it down, what you see, what you smell, just follow the train of sensation, and you'll find yourself giving yourself insight. It's almost like you do the sensation first. Where am I? What does it feel like? What does it look like? Go back there. Who am I? Like, you know, there's a couple stories, like, from in my book, The New York City Blackout, which I bookended with being in New York City during a blizzard, too. But, like, in the blizzard, I'm more, like, hard and grizzled and older and responsible. And in the blackout, I'm younger and, like, loving the snow day of it and having romance with someone I shouldn't have. It's just like, like be that person and don't leave. Okay, God, I want to say something that I cannot say. Oh, I have the perf, I'll tell you later. But there are other things that you do where you have to take your mind out of it and follow that. There you go. Hi. Uh, Danny, just wanted to say, uh, as a woman who's also donor-conceived, I'm sure you've, all of us come out and have something to say. So, um, I found out at 25, and I found my uh, father's other daughter two years ago, and she didn't know that her mother had lied to her and told the stories. And we found our biological father's identity a year and a half ago. So this is all really new for us. So. Anyway, I just wanted to preface that um, to say that we, as part of the donor-conceived community, I mean, when I was 25, there was nobody else donor-conceived. It's just not talked about. And our mothers said, our mothers were told not to tell anybody. So anyway, what I just wanted to say is 
just really appreciate you giving life to our story because it's really not well known. And the people in our family and our friends who hear that we are donor conceived, they don't really understand what this means to us to be basically lied to our entire lives and then suddenly one day, poof, you know, the man you thought you was your father wasn't. And I was really happy about it. You weren't. And my, um, my sister Jane was very confused. And now we have our father's biological children through his wife, and they're very upset and confused of the whole thing. So the fact that you gave this story life and have been able to educate so many people in terms of what we're all going through, we just really, I speak for all of us, we really do appreciate it. And um, my question is, what's next for you in terms of supporting the community? Are you, is this the end of it? Are you speaking to the community? Are you involved? Just really curious what you're doing next. Thanks. Thanks for that, and thanks, thanks for sharing. Um, what I'm doing is this. Um, that's why I've been on the road for the last year. That's why I've just been to five cities in five days. Um, that's why I have an ongoing um, tour, uh, both nationally and internationally. Um, I'm a writer who made this discovery and you know, poured my heart out into a book about it. And I'm now out there actually really trying to um, connect. And I, you know, it's, it's interesting because to me, when I speak to audiences, crowds, I feel like I have a responsibility to say 26 million people have, it's a show of hands right now, how many people in this room have um, ordered a DNA test? See? Yeah. I love doing that, right? So it's um, the most popular holiday gift in America. Um, uh, families are giving it to each other for Hanukkah and Christmas. Um, and for a portion of these people, there is um, a shocking discovery. It's not always donor conception. Um, birth parents are finding their birth children. Birth children are finding their birth parents. Sometimes that's a, all of the, in all of these cases, sometimes that's a beautiful story. Sometimes it's a painful story. Um, sometimes it's, almost always, it's a complicated story. And there are members of families who feel differently about what they're learning. It's just, there are fathers discovering children they never knew they had. There are people discovering half-siblings that they never knew they had. It just, it's, it's really kind of epidemic. Um, and what people don't really realize is the sheer numbers. So if 12 million people uh, did this DNA testing last year, which was what the number was, and if 2% of those people are discovering what's known in that world as an NPE, which stands for not parent expected, 2% of 12 million people is, I think, 240,000 people. That's the number of people who are making these discoveries right now. And it has to do with all of this secrecy, all of, and, and I, let me also just say, the secrecy, which is ending now, I mean, it's beginning to come to an end. It's got a ways to go. We all have a ways to go because 
there are still, I mean, I don't want to get on the soapbox about this tonight, but in this country, we are one of the only countries in the developed world that does not have any kind of um, database, uh, any kind of registry for number of uh, donor, a number of offspring that a donor can produce, right? No checks and balances. You add to that secrecy, lack of disclosure, and you have really a crisis. Um, so all of this is, I mean, in, to answer your question, that's, that's what I'm doing. What I'm doing is using the megaphone that I currently have to spread the word as much as I can and to humanize and make people understand what this story is. I was at a dinner the other day in Philadelphia with a bunch of, of um, publishing people and somebody just turned to me and said, well, no matter what, your father's still your father. And that, that is true, I came to that. My father is very much still my father. In fact, he's more my father than he, he ever was. But for someone to say that to me like that, it's like, how about walking for a minute in my shoes? You know, and then she said, I don't think people should be contacting their donors. I mean, I know families that have just been completely torn apart by this. I'm like, okay, I've been doing nothing but thinking about this for the last four years, but thank you for your opinion. Um, it's, 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 it's really complicated, and what I'm trying to do is um, shed light on that complexity. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes... I guess identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in exactly. to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy, yeah. right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to a really good cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. 
A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Since this is the last question, let me thank you both very much for something that was very entertaining, educational, and informative. And so I'll just end with a question about one word, shame. Um, you asked the question several Let's times. Let's eradicate it. Both it. Uh, why do families lie? Why do fa- families keep things secret? And in the Jewish tradition in particular, there's enormous evidence that shame is a critical motive for lying. I mean, in, in, I'm sure you have been through the first chapters of Genesis, I don't know how many times, but the patriarch, uh, Abraham, his wife, Sarah, was childless, and she's shamed. She has to give him a concubine. Uh, he tries to pawn her off to Pharaoh, lying that she's his sister. And then later on in the Bible, they make up a story that she bears Isaac uh, after she's passed the menopause. Um, only so that they can say Abraham begat Isaac, which is Abraham couldn't possibly be Isaac's biological father. Uh, Isn't there a very significant Jewish tradition, or perhaps general, that shame is a critical factor in this question of secrecy? I love that we're ending this evening with that question. I mean, I love that because I've become a bit of a student of, of secrecy, in, in, you know, I, I, I discovered that I was the secret after writing about secrecy all my life. But then when I started the podcast, when I started Family Secrets, I, it, which happened in a very organic way, it just came out of people started telling me their, their secrets. They would read Inheritance and start telling me their stories. I've seen in conversation after conversation, you know, when I've had enough, now I've had 30 conversations, like really deep ones with people who have really intense kind of unpacking of family secrets. And I've begun to see, all right, what, what do all of these stories have in common? Um, and thrumming underneath 
the keeping of a secret is, I think, almost inevitably shame. And the shame um, comes in many forms, but it's some version of no one would understand this. I'm completely alone uh, in this experience. If I were to voice it, I would be ridiculed or not understood or I would be shunned. Um, and, you know, I, I, I teach a large retreat once a year on the East Coast. And, um, and a few years ago, at the end of the retreat, I gave this exercise to everyone sitting there. There were a couple hundred people. And I made it up on the spot. I said, okay, I want all of you to just take a piece of paper. You'll have three minutes. I want you to, and, and once you finish what you've written, you can rip it up, you can burn it, you can throw it away, do whatever you want. No one's ever going to see it. I want you to write the thing that if anyone knew about you, you would die of mortification. And then I was like, okay, start. And from where I was sitting, I watched like a couple hundred people no one hesitated. Everyone started writing. It wasn't like, shame, what is this shame? <laughs> what are you talking about shame? And, but then later, as I was driving home, I was thinking, because to me the lesson was, whatever's in here is rich material for you, like think about that now that you've, but I was driving home and I was thinking, the real lesson um, which I never would do, is that if I said, actually, just kidding, you all have to read. You'll have to, you'll have to read it aloud now, which I would never, ever do. Um, there are teachers who would, but I, 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 I'm not one of them. What would have happened? Everyone in that room would have started nodding and resonating and feeling like, yeah, me too, or I understand, or the compassion, the empathy, the sense of, this is, you know, this is the human catastrophe. We're all in this together. But we don't do that. And that is why, you know, conversations like this feel so incredibly valuable and important to me. Um, and, and also why this moment in time, I think we're, we're at the start of something. I mean, there's so much that's so messed up in the world right now. But counteracting it in some way is this desire for authenticity and connection and gathering and truth-telling and vulnerability and, you know, just this sense of we're all more alike than we are different and can we just kind of... Um, I think the guests that... No one I've asked to come on Family Secrets has said no. Not one person. And they're not doing it because they want to confess in a kind of prurient way. They're doing it because there's this sense of, you know what, I'm telling this and it's liberating me. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. 
Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on I'm this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in exactly. to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy. Yeah. Right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast Climbing in Heels is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 